going to kind of refresh us real quick here where we've been uh, and finish up out of chapter 10 uh, where we didn't get quite finished as of last week. Uh, we started out with chapter 10 and uh, verses 1 through 18. We talked about Christ's sacrifice being perfectly sufficient for all. Um, as we move ahead and we, we saw that this writer talked about because of that, they should have a confidence to be able to draw near to God. They should have that complete boldness that they're able and ability to approach God because Christ has entered that most holy place for them, basically through the veil of his own blood. And through that process, as we think about this morning, um, we want to wrap up this chapter, chapter 10, with the danger, what danger exists of them drawing back. Um, now that they can draw near to God in full assurance and full confidence, knowing all truth, if they turn to their former ways, as we've talked about throughout this book and throughout this writing, that this writer continues to encourage, to exhort, to admonish these Hebrew Christians to not forsake the gospel of Christ, to not turn back to their former ways, that there remains, if they do, no sacrifice for sin. Somebody can say, well, I'll, I'll fall back. I'll just, uh, I'll continue to do what I'm doing and I'll just wait for the next sacrifice. I'll wait for the next opportunity, which when we see here, there isn't one. This is it. This is what is God's, all of God's plan coming to fruition. This is the end. Now they can draw near to Christ and they need to keep, continue to that. Don't let there be a danger of drawing back. So when we think here in chapter, in chapter 10, it says, if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. There's nothing left. There's nothing else that would satisfy or take away your sin. That's happened. And now you need to embrace that. But a terrifying expectation is what he's saying in verse 27, a terrifying expectation of judgment and that's why I think when, he, when, we, when we see this and we recognize this, we need to see that for ourselves as well. We need to understand that when we think about going back and sinning willfully, that there's nothing else that's going to cover or forgive or remit our sins. Christ is the only way, and his sacrifice is superior. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Think about how serious it was then even to embrace the law of Moses under the old law, under the first covenant. And it says, and, and what he says to them is anyone who sets aside that law dies without mercy. And then what's he say in verse 29? How much more severe punishment do you think you're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna receive? That how much do we deserve who's trampled under the foot of uh, trampled underfoot the son of god and has disregarded or has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has resulted in the spirit of grace for we know him who said vengeance is mine i'll repay says the lord back from deuteronomy chapter 32 verse uh, verse 35 um, drawing back from this new covenant is the same as denying Christ, his great sacrifice and the work of the Holy Spirit and of God. 
think is what we see here as we look at these few verses. When we think about, you know, he's given them exhortation based on the danger of apostasy, the danger of falling back, going back. And I think it's something that we need to... We need to recognize, is that something that could happen to us? Is that something if, and again, we're going to get into the faith chapter here shortly, I hope. And uh, when we think about what he's saying to these, these people, he's saying to these Christians, hold on, hang on. Don't let yourself, don't kid yourself, don't deceive yourself to let you think that, uh, you know, when you think you, you, you are fully aware of the consequences of disregarding not paying attention to God's law under the first covenant and setting aside the law of Moses. And now he says to them, how much more severe punishment do you think exists now because of Christ, because of what Christ has done? So it's important, I think, that we, that we recognize this. This next section, I think he, he gets into verses 32 through 34. He's going to talk about exhortation based on past endurance. And we think about this um, in verse 31, it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But remember the former days. He says, when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches, through tribulations, and partly becoming shares with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. So I think we see in these, three, in these three verses that he's saying, you know, remember that time frame. Remember the fact that, you know, you had held on. Look at the things that you had endured after being enlightened. After being, when, he, when we think about enlightened, we think about what Jesus had to offer. And now they could embrace that. They could have that and now remember, now that you've taken that on, you've been enlightened, you endured great conflict of sufferings. That's happened. You've done this. Partly by being made a public spectacle. There may have been individuals when you were in the public that made front of you, that put you down, that, uh, that ridiculed your faith, ridiculed that, that faith that you had, as we're going to talk about again. We'll get back into some of that in chapter 11. But I think it's important that we see that he's saying to them, look, look and think about where you've been, what you're doing. Continue to embrace that. Continue to hold on to that. And he says, again, when you think about the reproaches and the, and the tribulations, you know, I'm wondering if some of that, you know, may have not, that part may have been something that would have been verbal. You know, being verbally abused, verbally ridiculed, verbally put down for the cause of Christ, for what they're doing. And, and, and then as well as physical you know, he says, you've become sharers in those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted. He even, this writer even talks about how he, they had shown sympathy to him. Um, if you look at that in, in, in the New King James Version, you'll see that being as, you know, as, as him as well. Uh, I'm reading and, and, and basically teaching my class from the New American Standard Bible. But again, when we think about you accepted joyfully seizures of your property. You know, maybe referring back to when you, when you think about some of those things, think back to uh, Acts chapter 4, chapter 5, um, several of those things. Think about that time where there was a lot of persecution that was going on. Um, and then think about it even in Acts chapter 2, how people sold their possessions and things were, they were dealing with things that were, that were, 
very challenging, very trying. And it says, don't throw away. It says, therefore, since you've been through all of this and you know that you can hang on to this, he says to them in, uh, in verse 35, not to lose confidence in this Christ they once had, this Christ that you have now, that you've embraced, that you know this will be your great reward. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance. Verse 36, he talks about, he exhorts them to remain patient and steadfast. That word endurance is another word for patient. We think about, I mean, throughout the Bible, the word endurance or the word patience are used simultaneously. I mean, when we think about what he's telling them they need to do, again, knowing the end, continue to keep that in sight. Don't lose focus of that. Continue to remember that you are striving for a goal. This is your reward, and that reward is attainable. But if you fall back, if you, again, if you draw back, if you let yourself go back to a point where you're back into apostasy, then you're in a position of failure. You're in a position of losing your soul. He pleads with them not to lose this confidence. So, and when we look at this, he even, he's going to quote from Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 3. So he gets into verse 37, 38. He says, you know, here, he says, for yet in a very little while, he who's coming will come and will not delay. But my righteousness, one, shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And again, when we think about that particular reference, as he loses back to Habakkuk chapter 2, I think used in reference to God's judgment. And that judgment would, when you know, it was coming from Babylon. That was going to be something that they were going to have to endure that, that was coming, and it was coming on God's people. And he says to them here, don't shrink back. And if you shrink back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And as we, as we continue to, to wrap up this last, this last section here, exhortation based on receiving the promise. He continues to exhort them. He continues to try to build their confidence in what they're going to see here from verses 36 through, through 39. And I think in verse 39, we are, we, but we are not of those who shrink back. We think about shrinking back. When you, when you think of that term, shrink back, what comes to your mind? Shrink back. Okay. Anything else come to mind? Fear. Okay. Now, and I'm going to try to get on, get to some of this in chapter 11. But when we think about them falling back and them being in a position, you know, it's, I think one of the things that to me come out, and I feel like just thinking about the destruction of Jerusalem, I'm thinking this particular chapter, I'm not so sure he's not bringing out some of that, that may be coming to fruition. And you think about some of those that may have that fear whenever they could see what was coming and recognize that. And as Jason brought out, you know, fear and, and shrinking back and kind of saying, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I want to I continue this. And I think we're going to see that in, in this faith chapter as we get into chapter 11. Some things I think that he brings out with those who are triumphant in their faith. Those who honestly embraced their faith and could see not just right here in the present time, but what was ahead, what was in the future. And, uh, and I think that's what he's saying to them here in verse 39. 
as they think about receiving this promise, keep on keeping on. We've heard that term, keep on keeping on to the saving of your soul. Continue to believe. But of those who have faith, those who believe to the preserving of the soul, comments or questions before we move into chapter, before we move into chapter 11. Eric? Well, I think you go back to, to verse 25, and it says even more as you see the day drawing near. I think that day drawing near was the destruction of Jerusalem. Yes, I think I that's too. what they had the fear of and had been taught about and were looking forward to in a negative, not in a positive. Yes. And that was part of what was causing their uh, lack of attention to the assembly. Yes. So I think it sets up all the rest of what's said here in chapter 10. So when you think about that, and, I, and I'll go back to that real quick. I can't, I can't spend a lot of time on it. But in what Eric brought out there, you know, when we think about them being in that setting, it's hard for us maybe to put our, wrap our minds around that sometimes. When we think about where they were and what they're seeing and what they're facing, how hard would it have been for them to attend with the assembly? How hard would it have been to be with other Christians? Some honestly wrap their mind around that to the point where they could say, I don't care what it's going to cost me. I don't care what it puts me through. I don't care what happens. This destruction that's coming, this thing, these things that are before us, they could see. And I think that's one of the things that if there's anything that you get from the things that I bring out in this lesson of, of Hebrews, it's the fact, how does that apply to us today? Can we lose our faith? Can we lose what our sight is when we think about ultimately what's ahead? Think about these people, and we're going to talk about that in chapter 11, these people that have died never receiving the promise, but they could still see what was ahead. That's incredible. And think about what we have. We can see all that they couldn't see. We see all of that. We have all that before us, and sometimes we still, you know, we say, you know, I don't, I don't feel good today. I, I got a headache. I'm not this, I'm not, and, I, and I can't go, or I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't attend services. These people were going to, going to church and assembling together, and it may have cost them their lives. It may have cost them everything, and they still went. He said, don't forsake that assembling together as the manner of some is, but continue. What, think about that. That's, and I think that's what, and again, I think that's where Eric goes back, and we, and we see that. Any other comments? Yes, Mitch. I was just going to say, I think it's uh, really interesting. A lot of times when I thought about Hebrews, I would think about, you know, some brethren that had uh, misunderstandings of the scriptures and they needed some correction on that. But from this passage, you can easily see that they knew at one time, right? They knew and had confidence enough to endure persecution on, you know, with these things. But yet something's happened and something's changed. And now they're, they're pulling back that idea of shrinking back, I think is, is not just them saying, well, you know, we're not following God anymore. It's them saying, well, I'm following God, but if anybody questions me on it, I don't, I don't know, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, and I think that's very pertinent for us, like you were saying, for us today in that these are not untaught and unlearned brethren. These are brethren that have, they knew at one time, but something has changed and caused them to lose that confidence and that faith that they had. And, and the writer is telling them to persist, that they need to have that confidence, that they need to continue, they need to have that endurance. Yes, very good. Anything else? 
Well, let's move on as we, I, I think this, the end of this chapter, chapter 10, I think is a segue to kind of bring us in uh, to chapter 11. As I've always done, I've tried to do throughout the class, and I won't go through all these, but again, these are quotes. These are things that we see in chapter 10 that he shows from the Old Testament quotes from verses 5 through 7 through 37 through 38. And again, looking at where, what he brings out and what he tries again, they would be aware of these. They would, this would make sense to them. This would be something they could, they could, they could bite on and say, that's right. You know, I, that's right. He's given us examples of things that we, we, can, we understand and so I think that was, uh, again, I, just, I, I find that interesting throughout this book that this is filled with those kind of quotations. Chapter 11, as we get into this first part, I'm going to look at basically uh, what in the nature of faith, chapter, one through, chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, what faith is, what, what, what the power of faith, what it does. Um, I think this is some things that he brings out here. This is probably a verse in Hebrews chapter 11. Many of us have probably memorized and had memorized for years. Uh, but when we really depict that, we really tear it apart, we dissect this verse, what do we get from this? How faith is the assurance, faith is the assurance, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the conviction or the evidence of things not yet seen, not seen. When we think about that, you know, in the previous chapter, in chapter 10, he emphasizes to the readers the, that this role of faith in their service to God. He brought that out in verse 39. And he concluded his remarks with a quote from Habakkuk chapter 2 in that the just to live by faith. And I think now we see this, it, that these brethren did not have a mature, and, and just as as. Mitch just brought out, didn't have a mature concept of faith as they should have had. Again, think back to, as we talked about Hebrews chapter 5. What was it in Hebrews chapter 5? You know, he, he breaks and he says, you know, you're not able to endure and understand what I'm talking to you about. And again, I think it gets back to some of that as well. You need, you need, you need somebody to teach you. You need somebody to give you these, these basic concepts again. Maybe no understanding, possibly at all, that they had here. Maybe they have lost that. Many were once heavily steeped in their own traditions and rituals of, uh, pertaining to the old law um, and potentially losing their spiritual aspect or perspective of worshiping God and what that meant. So we think about faith as the substance. Think about substance. Think about something. If you've got nothing, if you've got nothing, is that substance? If you have nothing, nothing, you would have nothing. But think what he's bringing out and this writer wants them to see is you have substance. There is assurance when he says this to them of things hoped for, hoped for, but when you have that, what's he say of God's promise of salvation? And the evidence or the proof, the proof or the conviction of God's unseen existence of what we can't see. Do we sit in here this morning 
And I'm asking you to think about this, and nobody has to raise their hand. Do we sit in here this morning, each one of us who are Christians, are there things that you base your faith on that you can't see? I hope I see everybody's head bouncing. Is that not true? Is there not things that we base our faith on that we can't see? God's unseen existence, his wisdom, his power, the heavenly realm. I've never seen that. But I believe from things that are depicted and things that are brought out within the scriptures, there is a heaven. I've never seen hell, and I hope I never see it. But the things that are depicted, do we not see hell? Is that not something that we can visualize? Visualize. Not that we've been there, that we can come back and say, oh, you know, I've been there. Think about what he is, the shot in the arm that he is trying to give these Christians, that, he, that, that we should be grasping, that we should see. Think about what we have of the hope that's here. And that's what he says, hope for. Conviction of things not seen, for by it the elders, the men of old, gained approval. Think about those from that period of time. They gained approval for what? Having this faith, this conviction of things that they never even laid their hands on. And they still continued to embrace God. They still followed him. They still obeyed him. Because when we think about the things that they understood, they, many of these died without ever receiving that promise. But they knew seeing far off, they knew seeing what they understood, they knew it was coming. And they could still embrace God on, on behalf of that. By faith we understand the worlds were prepared, verse 3, by the word of God. You know, I, I think about that from, you know, Genesis chapter 1 says what? In the beginning, God did what? Create the heavens and the earth. And then Psalms 33, verse 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Psalms brings out that the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. So by faith, they understood that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. They were made by the word of God so that, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. They could see that. Things they could not see. They were invisible, but they still embraced that. They still grabbed hold of that, and many would not let go of it. They saw there was something better. That superiority, of, that superiority that we've talked about throughout this of Christ. They could see that. They wanted to lay hands. They wanted to see, and, and they embraced that Messiah that was coming. Think here when we see in some of these that, that are brought out in chapter 11, some of these individuals that we a lot of times refer to as so to speak, the, the faith, hall of fame, those that are specifically mentioned. I'm not going to have time 
to go back and turn to these particular individuals. But I'm going to try to bring out why they would have been considered and approved of God because of their faith, because of what existed in their minds and how they embraced that. Verse 4 talks about, By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he's dead, he still speaks. What about Abel's, what about Abel? What happened in that story really quick? Who, what happened to Abel? Okay, he was killed by his brother Cain. Okay, so when we think about that, what would this, by faith, Abel offer to God a better sacrifice? How do we know, how do we know that God was approved of his sacrifice? I think we can pull it out of this verse right here. What do we see there? He obtained that, he obtained that good report. He obtained, I think when we see that, by his faith, he said what? He obtained it because he was righteous. God testified and saw what his gifts were and saw through his faith. And then what's it say there in the latter part? What's it say there in the latter part of that verse? How is it possible that through faith, though he's dead, how is it that he still speaks? Okay, his example do we, do we not see other individuals, do we not see other individuals that, the individuals that are in the Bible that I think we could say that about? Thinking about their leadership, their example, their steadfastness. Think about how they walked with God and didn't let go. Can't we see those things? There's many of those things I think that, that we're able to see and, and it brings out. And I think that's right. When we think about the example, he was killed for his faith. He was killed for it. By, by a jealous brother. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken, he was pleasing to God. What do we know about Enoch? When you think about that word, Enoch, when you think about that name, what comes to your mind about what we know with his relationship with God? He walked with God. We don't have a lot about Enoch. There's not a lot of information that we can, that we can obtain, but we see, I think, here by faith, you know, Enoch served God, and he was taken up before death. And I think as shown by these two examples here, with Abel and with Enoch, you know, it says here it's impossible. We're going to see that in verse 6 in just a minute. It's impossible to please God without faith. This type of faith Again, and I think as we look and, and continue this from Enoch to Noah, I think Noah's interesting when we think about what he did and the story behind him quickly. What is it you can think about Noah when it comes to faith? Had it ever rained like it rained as he prepared for the ark? No. Are there things that we can say, you know, I've been through that before, and, and maybe I, 
I don't, it doesn't take maybe quite as much faith or as much for us to say, you know, I, I don't know. But with Noah, he'd never seen a flood like this before. He'd never seen anything of the, of the kind. But I think when we think about, we think about this faith, that he acted with obedience to God. Again, think, about, think back to that verse 1. He had faith so strong, these were things he'd never seen before. But because God said, this is what I want you to do, this is how he responded to God, that he acted, and we talked about this a while ago as well, God, he acted in godly fear. Because of his faith, he became heir of righteousness before God. Being warned about things not yet seen in reference, prepared an ark for salvation of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteous, which is according to faith. How did he condemn the world? Okay, through his obedience. What else? What else? How about his example? You know, there were, there were people that probably looked at him and thought, he needs a straitjacket. He's crazy. I mean, look at him. Talk about ridicule. Talk about putting him down. Talk about making fun of him. I mean, think about that. Because how do we know? We think about this for a second. How do we know how people would have reacted to him? Who was saved in that ark? Eight people. All the people that he's, that see this, that wonder what he's doing, even in, in, in his preaching. There's a flood coming. God's getting ready to demonstrate judgment. He's getting ready to bring judgment upon the earth. You need to obey him. No, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. You know, we're, we can't, you know, I mean, but... What happens when the, when, the, when the earth opened up and the waters come gushing and people are like, whoa, did he need a straitjacket then? Did he need committed then? No, I think we could see. And, you know, and I wonder sometimes, just think about what we know now and what we read. Think about the validity of the substance that we have before us that they didn't even have, but they still could embrace it. They still could take it on. They still said, I know there's a promise. I know what God says and what, he's, and what he do. He still kept his promise even under the, under the first covenant. He kept his promise. They knew they could embrace They knew they could hold on to that. It was valuable. We should too when we think about that. Noah. Then we get into kind of a, a couple of segments here of, of Abraham when we think about uh, when we think about Abraham, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read this little section here, like eight through ten, and then in between that, Sarah is talked about, and then it goes back to Abraham again. But in 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 this particular section, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which to re to receive an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. This was one act of faith. I believe that we can see, and I don't have that up on the board, but I think there's five things we can, we can pull out of what we see here with regard to Abraham. One, 
is the fact that he was going to go to a place to, for an inheritance, not knowing where he was going. How many of us have just done that before? Go somewhere, you don't even know where you're going. Maybe, maybe it's a job. Or, but think about, is there not some faith involved in that? Think about what he, he was just told to do that. God told him to do this, and he did it. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, and in verse 8, this is verse 9, in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He's thinking about that promise. But again, we think about faith. What is faith? What if, what, think of, I want us to think about it from this standpoint. When we think about our faith, is it what is in the present? And this is what, and what we read, we see, we, we embrace that? Or do we think about what's in the present that's going to give us really the reward that's in the future? What's coming? And that's where it should keep us marching on when we think about what is coming and what's still ahead and what's there for me, for you, if we embrace God, if we take him on in obedience and we see what he's promised us. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to jump ahead. I'm going to come back to verse 11. But I think when we think about Abraham, and I'm going to run down here to verse 12. <clears throat> Therefore was born even of one man, and him as good as dead. At that, as many descendants as the stars of the heavens, the number are innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Think about Abraham and the promise that was made to him, and what did he see? Abraham could see what? Having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed, my, my apologies, verse, back to verse 12, as the stars of the heaven, as good as dead, and that as many descendants as the stars of the heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Think about, he saw that through him there would be descendants that were, you couldn't count, stars of the heaven, innumerable as the sand by the seashore. All of these died in faith without receiving the promises, as we talked about in the earlier part of our lesson. Having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, strangers and pilgrims, they knew that, that the land that they lived in was for a time, was for a short time, and they had something better looking for them. And I think as we see, for, for those who say such things, make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. Say what? Having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on, on the earth. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have made an opportunity to return. You see, when they went out and they had that promised land, they could have gone back to that. God wasn't holding them. They, they could have done whatever they wanted to do there. But they desired a better country. That is a heavenly country. 
Verse 17, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, who had received the promises, was offered up only his begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, and Isaac and your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. I'm going to stop right there at the end there of verse 19. What is it we see with Abraham? Abraham, when we think about this, and I think this is, is, is amazing in itself as well, when we think about the fact that he was going to a country, he obeyed God. He believed the promise. He sacrificed his son. But think about that as well in that particular, and when he brings out the fact, what did Abraham, looking afar off, what did he have to know when we say here he was going to offer his son, but yet what did he know about God? If he offered his son, knowing, what did he know that God had promised him through him, what? His seed. All nations of the earth would be blessed. And through Isaac, that was going to happen. But he's telling him to sacrifice Isaac. What could only Abraham have, basically, what, what assumption could he have made here? Was that? That's right. He could be raised from the dead. Just sit and ponder that for a minute. He could see and had so much confidence and assurance in God. He didn't have any question about sacrificing his son. Obviously, we know that didn't happen. God tested, was testing him to see, and he recognized what true faith, what incredible faith that man had. Do we have faith like that? Do we believe God like that? That's incredible when you think about that. And I told you I'd go back to verse 11. We're about out of time. But back verse 11, what do we know about Sarah? But by faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond proper time of life. She and Abraham were old. They were old. I mean, they were in years that they know that uh, this was not probable for them to have a child. But yet, because of what? Since she considered him, God, faithful, who had promised, told her you were going to have a son. Therefore, there was born even one man. Again, thinking about what happened here in this particular faith chapter and why this writer goes back to Abraham and Sarah and, and Abel and Enoch. Think of the faith that you're seeing demonstrated here. These died in faith looking for a better country. That from 13 through 16 that I just, that, that I just had read. Look for a better country. Look for a better place. They could see that. They, they envisioned that, and they were drawn to be a part. They wanted to be a part of that. Again, I don't have time to go into each one of these. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding the things to come. Quickly, what do we know about that story? And I don't want you to get wrapped up in the fact that there was deception that occurred here. That's not the point of what he's bringing out here. 
What was it that Isaac, through Jacob, could see in, in that birthright, in, in, that, in, in what, it's what occurred there? Okay, fulfillment of the promises. He had that faith. When we think about Jacob, who was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. Who were the sons of Joseph? Ephraim? Manasseh. Okay? And he worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. Think about that. That staff, and if you look at that, would have been, could have been also referred to as leaning on his bed. He was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of Exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. Where was he buried initially? What did he know was coming? The promised land, right? He knew that was, that was coming. So again, by faith, we see that Joseph... You know, again, looking at that, and this writer continues to bring this out about these individuals. By faith, Moses, by faith, Moses, when he was, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Now, I'm not sure that brings out Moses' faith, but maybe the faith of his family, the faith of, his, of, of what they did based on what they knew, you know, because of God. They were not afraid of the king's edict. They were not afraid of what the king was saying. They went ahead and still hid this child. They still did what they could to protect and preserve him. By faith, Moses had grown up, refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who's unseen. He kept the Passover, in verse 28, and sprinkling of the blood so that he, and, we'll, and I'll touch on these just a little bit when we come back on Sunday, um, uh, next, next Lord's Day, Lord willing. But uh, there's a lot actually there with Moses. Um, I appreciate your comments. Thank you for your time this morning, and uh, we'll, we'll close.